Major funding for Backstory is provided by the Shia Khan Foundation, the National Endowment for the Humanities, the Joseph and Robert Cornell Memorial Foundation, and the Arthur Vining Davis Foundations. From the Virginia Foundation for the Humanities, this is Backstory with the American History Guys. I've just received a call from Secretary Clinton. She congratulated us, it's about us, on our victory. Hi, podcast listeners. I'm Brian Bellow. And I'm Ed Ayers. Ed, this morning, we're doing a quick take on putting what is clearly a historic election in historical context. We're doing it so quickly that our stalwart ally, Peter Onuf, the expert in early American history, is not able to join us this morning. But we'll see if we can't soldier on and try to find some larger perspective in which to make sense of this election that we all just lived through. You bet we're going to soldier on, Ed. I know our listeners are wondering, what about this campaign and election is truly unprecedented, and what about it resonates with the past? Yeah, it shows why we have history rather than just uh, polling. (laughs) You know, that history is marked with these unpredictable sort of ruptures. And this does feel like a rupture in American history uh, and in lots of different ways. Uh, And it feels in some ways as if it's going contrary to all the trend lines that we thought were moving American history in one direction, right? It seems to be moving against diversity. It seems to be moving against a greater presence of women in our American life. And it seems like it feels like we're moving backwards. Ed, that's such a 20th century view of things. Uh, I know. Because I actually think it depends on how far back in history you go. Well, there have been people saying things much like what Donald Trump has said for well over a century. You know, I think of you talk about the Gilded Age being the time that is most like this, where you have this great turnout and you have the two parties and everybody identifies either as a Democrat or Republican. And we remember out of that context, however, came the largest third party revolt in American history before this current moment of rupture, the populist party. and The they, populist. Exactly. And their message was very similar to what Donald Trump is saying. The system is rigged. It's rigged in favor of business. It's rigged in favor of the East. It's rigged in favor of gold. And it's, it's leaving out the majority of Americans. Exactly. And the people who made America great, the farmers, the people who built this country. And so that, that's the 1890s. Uh, and They put forward uh, their own candidate, the populist candidate, William Jennings Bryan. The difference is, compared to today, whereas the Republicans kind of adopted Trump, uh, the Democrats fully adopted William Jennings Bryan. But he came from the same place of anger. Now, it seems today very mild, but... Historians have gone back and found strong strains of anti-Semitism uh, in the populist crusade, certainly anti-immigrant perspective, uh, certainly racist perspective. And anti-globalization. And, and, yeah, it, exactly. It was international trade that was driving prices down for farmers. So the big difference between William Jennings Bryan and his voice of populism even supported by the Democratic Party, was that he lost in 1896, right? Then in the 1930s, Huey Long, Louisiana, says much the same things as Trump and uses the radio and uses 
stumps speaking and goes directly to the working class people of America and says, it's time for you to take back your country. In fact, it's time for every man to be a king. Long in the 1930s is assassinated. Who knows what he might have grown into had FDR had a true challenge from a guy who's blending the left economic and the right cultural, right? So then I think the next one who sounds like Donald Trump is Alabama Governor George Wallace, who in 1963 is on flickering national television saying segregation now and segregation forever. Five years later is far more successful than the Democratic establishment could possibly have imagined winning votes all across the United States. More like Trump than the other two because he talks about pointy-headed intellectuals. He's talking about the media elite. He's talking about all these people who are sneering at you and making fun of you because you're a hardworking white American who's paying his taxes, obeying the laws, and now all these Democrats and the minorities that they support are trying to take away your freedoms. And there, too, violence brings down George Wallace. He's shot and disabled. So you find in different instances, what would Huey Long have grown into? What would George Wallace have grown into? We don't know because of history. And now, what do you think, Brian? Are we seeing, are these echoes of those earlier times, or are you struck by that this is a break from those earlier challenges to the status quo? Well, I think, Ed, that these are echoes of those earlier times, but there has been a recent trend that, much as I hate to admit it, keeps reminding me of the 19th century, a strengthening of a partisan press. You know, back in the 19th century, you knew whether your paper was Democratic or Republican. Well, we have echo chambers uh, today. A competitiveness in elections where both sides were very evenly divided in the late 19th century. You know, it really was a matter of whether you turn out your people or not. And I'll just say one more thing about your century, Ed, uh, a rise of politics as entertainment. Uh, Back in the late 19th century, politics was the major form of entertainment. And I think for so much of the 20th century, Politics has been about issues and public policy and expertise. And I think what this election reminds us is that when politics is entertaining, it can attract elements of the electorate uh, that simply had not been terribly engaged before. Talk about echo chamber. The echo chamber of modern media, I don't know how many newspapers supported Trump, too. Is it at at most and and so the fact that you could what is a newspaper? Yeah, well, there is that, Um, and the fact that every night all you had to do is watch the late night talk shows just to hear a steady heaping of ridicule on Trump or Saturday Night Live to see Alec Baldwin do it, and I think that those of us who live in that world are shocked that we could be so wrong about our own nation. I think we have to come into this with some humility um, and recognize what were we not paying attention to? We were not paying attention to uh, Breitbart News, uh, this alt-right website uh, that represents one element of the echo chamber that lots of 
people on the far right were paying a lot of attention to. So there's uh, two echo chambers. It's not just that there was a liberal one. No, no. It's that the conservatives <laughs> and the liberals were echoing that's, themselves. That's precisely the problem. And you know that well, Ed. You know that in the 19th century, people, they read the Republican paper, yep. they read the Democratic that's paper, right. and they convinced themselves that they really understood the nation without ever actually talking to half the nation. Yeah, or trying to convince even their neighbors to join them, right? That's right. Yeah. And, and we made fun of uh, newer forms of social media like Twitter, which had a way of connecting Donald Trump in an almost intravenous fashion to a broad swath of the electorate without any of those annoying intermediaries, the, the pundits, the experts, the journalists, the big institutions. And I'd like to point to something that I think is the most uh, impressive discontinuity. We have never had a president who was less prepared in terms of his experience to govern. Uh, we have never had a president who has literally no experience in public service, certainly not in the 20th century. You would have to go back to Wendell Wilkie, uh, who did not win in 1940, a businessman, uh, to find somebody who, had he won, would have been as inexperienced. And arguably, uh, whatever Mr. Trump might feel about governing, arguably we live in a pretty complicated, even more internationally engaged world than the world Brian, that Brian, Brian. Wendell Wilkie Apparently, was running you're, in. you're not paying attention to last night's mandate. We don't care about expertise <laughs> anymore. I, I, I'm not really kidding. I, I, I understand I, that. I, I think you think of it as being inexperienced. I think of him as being unsullied uh -huh. by having actually done anything in the public sphere. I'm not saying how it's going to come out. I'm uh, this. We're trying to summarize continuities yeah, and con discontinuities, and and to me, one of the undeniable differences in Trump is we have just elected a, 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 quote, leader of the free world who has no experience leading the free world. You know, the difference, Brian, between George Wallace's forgotten man and Richard Nixon's silent majority is that now they are no longer silent because of the rise of an alternative media. That's right. right? Ever since the 80s, uh, talk radio and alternative ways of people building community and finding each other in a way they could not when there were only three television stations in which you know, corporations owned. They, and they hugged the middle of those exactly, three stations. Exactly. And now the silent majority, people across America, have been able to find themselves as a majority through these alternative means of communication. It's funny, we think of those new things as leaving people, older white people in the country behind. But ironically, it turns out to be the way that people who for over 100 years now, since the forgotten farmers of the 1890s, have been trying to find a way to make their majority presence felt, they finally did. Ed, this election has symbolized the polarization that exists in this country and left lots of people wondering whether we can ever bring these divisions together. Uh, do you have any words of hope to offer from history? It was interesting that the words that Trump used in his victory speech echoed Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln, when the wounds were all too real and all too evident to people, spoke of binding the nation's wounds. And 
So whatever we're looking at today is nothing like when we killed the equivalent of 8 million other Americans as we did in the American Civil War. Um, and one reason we revere Abraham Lincoln is he always brought a tone of humility even to moments of great triumph. The United States puts down the rebellion, ends slavery, and yet he recognized that the whole nation had been complicit in the wrong that got us to that moment. I think this would be a good time for us all to look around and think about what resources do we have within our own reach? Rather than waiting on somebody else to deliver us from this moment, what can we do right now to start the healing? What can we do right now with the people among whom we live to try to put the pieces back together? Thanks for listening. We hope to do more of these midweek podcasts in the near future. But don't worry, uh, you'll have a regular Backstory podcast in your feed on Friday.